This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Rub Rub podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. Liverpool leave London with a point and an added body to their growing midfield absentee list. Coming up, we'll get into the Reds' tool draw down at Fulham. We'll discuss if Thiago's injury will force Jurgen Klopp into the transfer market, Darwin Nunez's Premier League bow, and much more besides. To do all that, we have the chief Ian Doyle, the O Squires, and back from sunning himself, the Wirral Wonder, Rich Garnett. Cards on the table. We did say on Friday we had a special guest lined up here for this edition of the Blood Red podcast. We were all hoping to be back in person. But alas, Doily, that hasn't happened. We were hoping to be joined by Liverpool assistant manager Pep Linders, but that's since fallen through. So our special guest is is Rich or Theo. Who are you picking? Well, I suspect it's going to be Theo because he doesn't really make that many appearances on the podcast <laughs> these days. So I'm going to go with going to go with Theo. And of course, the real reason that Pep obviously wasn't able to do it is because he listens to the pod. He's a regular, a blood red, and he. He heard the number of times that Theo two foots all the Liverpool players, so he thought not having any of that, not on my watch. So he thought, nah, not Man City players, not Liverpool players, Man City United players. I think what you're like. I think as I think as a special guest, Theo, I might have to just ask you if Liverpool are going to sign a midfielder this summer. But we'll get to that in good time. Uh, Doyle, I'll come straight back to you. You were down in the capital for the Premier League opener. You did err on the side of caution on Friday. You did say this season maybe not going to be as easy as many are predicting. What did you make of the uh, the opening ninety minutes? Because as as you as you said on Friday, it's going to detail the rest of the season. Yeah, I told you. <laughs> told no everyone was <laughs> laughing at me everybody was laughing but no 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 um yeah so basically i was not surprised by full on one little bit the only big surprise was how terrible liverpool were and i can't remember the last time they played that badly in the first 45 minutes possibly one of the worst performances they've had since they've been a winning team under jürgen klopp because you know you can Look at the excuses for 2021 and the, the injuries to the centre-backs, but there was no excuse. There was a reason. So the reason is, is that they're nowhere near the level that they need to be because of the, the, the summer. And I think it's, it's no surprise that last year they hit the ground running because they had nearly a full month away. And that set them up for the rest of the season. And Klopp hasn't really mentioned it so much. He didn't want to use it as an excuse during the... You know, what, what you can't really say it out in the open can he during the warm-up program because he's kind of you know belittling his own efforts and the efforts of the squad but he would have known going into that game that they weren't as ready as he would want them to be and that's the same for an awful lot of other clubs but you know Fulham didn't weren't playing in the Champions League final on May the whatever it was 28th and they didn't have a lot they had some players on international duty of course but they didn't have a lot but then but then by the same token Fulham had loads of players missing so they had a bit more to prove than Liverpool from the point that they were back in the Premier League, they were playing in front of their new stand, admittedly with nobody in it, which was a little bit odd. They quite clearly haven't quite finished it yet. There were some people at the front of the, I'm not sure whether you could see it on television, they were at the front of the stand, but the rest of it was empty. But it made a lot of noise. And, you know, from the way Fulham have played uh, last season, that they were always going to go for it. You know, they can't play any other way under Marco Silva. He was exactly the same at Everton. You know, you know I know he got sacked from Everton, but... You couldn't argue that they were trying to get forward and play play attacking football, and that's exactly what he's done at Fulham. So Liverpool would have known that, but I don't think they were ready for the intensity of it. And the first half, they were just shocking, awful, genuinely, genuinely, genuinely awful. And you could tell it from the very first kick of the match. 
you know, Matip likes to put it out wide to, well, it used to be Mane, didn't it? But Mane's not there anymore. So he tried to put it to Diaz and he didn't get it. And it went out. And then within about 30 seconds, they were passing the ball around the back. Matip played it wide to Trent. He said to Trent, put it back to Alisson. He ignored him. And he just absolutely belted it forward against one of their players. And, and Mitrovic had a chance, didn't he, where he just put it wide. So from that very first moment on it, it's like, what's going on here? Why are they not, you know, they didn't seem to be in tune with each other, which is unusual. Midfield was terrible, wasn't it? It was terrible. And it's interesting as well. You also had the kind of like that background, that backdrop of Harvey Elliott and Fabio Carvalho. I'm not sure whether it came over on the television, but when Elliott came on, they were kind of booing him and they cheered him when he had the possession. But with Carvalho, they were quite, you know, they, they were the opposite. They were they were happy with what he'd done. And obviously, Carvalho actually played quite a few games for Fulham by comparison to Harvey Elliott. And uh, there was a little bit of that as well. So, you know, the atmosphere was certainly against Liverpool, as you would expect. Well, they played in way worse atmospheres than, than that. They just weren't ready, and they weren't ready for it. And if you'd have said at half time that the game was going to finish 2 all, you'd have taken that straight away. And as we said in the well, I said on the podcast last on Friday, I said Fulham, as I say, we're going to go for it. Be you talked me into saying three one, didn't you? I initially said two one. I initially no, I said did, two one because I thought I it would be close. You, know, you, you did. You all did. You pressured me. Peer <laughs> pressure. I think what we've learned there is just you know. Stick to your principles and your gut feeling is, is what we've learned from this podcast already. So, no, Liverpool. But then the only good thing, really, is that they can't get any worse. And it was interesting that Klopp said after the game, didn't he? He said, it w- it's probably better that we drew this game rather than won because we would have learned nothing from it. Whereas, you know, they're, they're good, they've got to learn something from it. And I can't really work out whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. They've got to wait another, another week, isn't it? More than a week before they play the next game because they'll have had a long time to stew over this one. I think they would have preferred to have been playing on on Wednesday or Tuesday to get it out of the system because you know the players will have just been, I can imagine they'll have been absolutely livid going home. Yeah, no, and a, a long way home as well. First time since, what, 2017, Liverpool haven't won on the opening day. And that side, of course, were, were managed by Marco Silva as well, a three-all draw. Uh, Watford, Theo Doyley mentioned there about Liverpool weren't ready. Is that just a Liverpool thing, though, of, of how Liverpool needs to be at 100% to really go at it? I mean, a number of sides didn't win, of course, over the course of the weekend. But it feels with Liverpool, if the preparation isn't quite right, it really does affect them, or is that just we've got red tinted glasses on looking from a, a Liverpool persuasion? Maybe a, a bit of both. I suppose it's partly the, the World Cup coming in the middle of the season, like we're having to start early and Liverpool having gone late the last campaign. It has been a shorter pre season again. We're looking at teams and going, they didn't play that many friendlies, they haven't had much preparation here. Maybe they aren't at the, the levels they need to be. And you know, with Liverpool more than most, they really need to be in peak physical, mental health conditions to really set the ground, hit the ground running and be at their best. That's why they have these longer pre-seasons because they work them so hard in pre-season that they don't need to reach that level again through the campaign. So they're basically prepared for everything. I'm sure Jürgen Klopp would have liked another couple of weeks um, with them working on things. The injuries haven't helped as well. Like we know uh, the Strasbourg game, we couldn't play uh, a strong team in that. It was eight teenagers and then the Villa game behind closed doors got called off. I think that was from the Villa side of things, but that could have easily been Liverpool just didn't have a, a strong eleven back to play it as well. And I, I can see what Doyle's saying. They maybe want to be playing Tuesday, Wednesday to just get out of the system. But then at least it gives them a full week on the training pitch to go through the, the paces again and get them up to the levels they need to be. Um, you're hoping that at least Kostas Simikas and Naby Keita are going to be ready for Crystal Palace. It's all a bit cryptic with the players who have had injuries at the moment, like with Thiago, 
um, Curtis Jones, Canate, Jota. It's like, well, are they minor injuries or are they major injuries? Are we talking that they'll be back by the end of August or are we looking further afield here and Liverpool are going to be seriously depleted until after the transfer window closes? We'll, we'll wait and see. I know the club have liked to keep things uh, cards close to their chest and not give too much away, but it has created that uncertainty there and it's supposed to enhance the feelings of the fans that something needs to be done in the transfer market. Whether they'll dip in, we'll see. But Liverpool have got the pieces of the puzzle there. They just need to put them together in the right order, the right places. And when a few players are back from injury, we'll see it. That's also, as Doyle said, the midfield was woeful on opening day. Um, the fact that Thiago going off wasn't a major blow in the extent of, oh, we can get Harvey Elliott on, we can get Darwin Nunes on, and they gave it a bit more life. But they need to be better against Crystal Palace, and they can't be any worse than they were. How big, Rich, do you think it is of, of how poor that midfield played in that game? There was, there was there was talk even prior to the summer, go back to last year, that Liverpool needed another bit of quality in the midfield. Obviously, Fabio Carvalho has come into the midfield during the course of the off-season. But given how, how poorly those kind of regular tried and trusted names of Thiago, uh, yeah, Thiago Henderson and Fabinho played in that first half in particular... It wasn't really the validation Jurgen Klopp's wanted, I suppose, to his outlook that Liverpool don't need to do more business. Probably not. That's not not what he would have wanted to have seen, isn't it? If I was if I was picking that side, picking the midfield, that's exactly the midfield trio I would have picked out of the players available. And and I don't think any of them covered themselves in any form of glory whatsoever, to be honest with you. I thought uh, when James Milner came on, he made a difference. Uh, I was calling for him to come on, which just kind of justified the uh, reason to give him another contract when you need an, a, a different experience head in there. I, I thought he provided that and, and, and Harvey Elliott as, as well. What what disappointed me really was in, in the latter stages of the match, it was clear to me that Elliott and, and Milner looked like they had something about them and they could get balls you know, get the, get the get them on the ball and get it into to Nunes or, or, or Salah. You might sneak uh, what would have been an undeserved winner, but but they just seemed to be heading the ball around the pitch. There was no there was no control over the situation, uh, which is very un Liverpool, I, I, I would think, really, for what we've become accustomed to. So yeah, the, the midfield was was very disappointing, um, and obviously all summer um, certain um, segments of supporters will have been calling for for a new midfield. Um, reinforcements and, and that's only going to grow with, with this first performance and of course Jürgen Klopp will have to answer those questions and, uh, and maybe you will eventually answer them with a, with a little dip in the transfer market I suppose Adoli, in terms of that and the midfield question there is a player coming in he's more likely to depend on maybe how lengthy Thiago's injury is or the options actually available to Jürgen Klopp rather than just a, a bit of a stinker on the opening day at Fulham it's got nothing to do with that. I don't think it matters that they, they were terrible at Fulham. It's not going to make any difference to whether he signs a, a midfielder or not. Um, going back to Milner and Elliot, it's interesting because they were two of the better players during the, the summer games. So it shouldn't really be that much of a surprise that they came on and actually played quite well. I mean, the worry was, you know, I've been writing that, you know, seen Liverpool quite a long time now. Especially Fabinho is a very slow starter of the season. He needs a pre-season and you could see during the games that you know, a lot of people are going to look at the Man City game and say, well, how come they can play like that against Man City and then that happened? Well, if you actually 
break down the Man City game. They were good for 25 minutes. Then Man City were good for about half an hour, 35 minutes. And they were even further behind than Liverpool were at that point. And they just fell away. Liverpool made the substitutions. And that's what made the difference in the end. So I think you can explain it that way. But in terms of City, and we saw what they did against West Ham uh, on Sunday. Well, anyone who watched it did. I didn't watch it. Um, And um, for Liverpool... That was the worries that they were so slow. They got caught out, basically, I think. I think they just got caught out with the intensity. So once they lost the momentum, once they lost the momentum, they couldn't really get it back until the second half when Milner and Elliot came on. And as, as Richard kind of alluded to, first half, Salah, they were giving Salah these ridiculous passes and expected it to just go off and do something. It's like, well, hang on, it can't do that. Elliot and Milner, they got Salah into the game. And look what happened when they did. He scores, he scores one goal. Well, he sets up the first goal, sets up another chance and then scores the second one. And he was always like a problem then for them. And it's that is that was a slight worry for me is that they couldn't get Salah into the game because he's been there all the time and the midfield was the same. So why weren't they able to do it? Did Fulham may have done a little bit of a job on them, but there's been better teams than Fulham that have tried to get Salah out of the game. So why why did that happen? And and Again, that might come down a little bit to the fact they weren't prepared. First game of the season, they probably haven't seen the analysis of Fulham properly. A new team for them, this, that and the other. So, there is that. In terms of the midfielders, though, um, again, going back to a point Theo just made, we don't know how long they're all out for. You know, so say Thiago's out for a week, two weeks, they're not going to sign a midfielder. Say Curtis Jones is back in a week, they're not going to sign a midfielder. You know, but say Thiago's out for two months and Curtis Jones is another two months. Then suddenly, hang on, you've lost those two and you've lost Ox and Morton's gone on loan. And then you've got Carvalho, who is probably going to be used as a forward player rather than the midfielder this season, I think, or an option at least. And then suddenly you're down to hang on, there's only about four or five here. Four players that we can rotate and we know how much energy the midfielders have to put in and the games that are coming up. So then they would possibly have to think. And... The way Liverpool do things, they obviously look at transfer windows ahead. I don't think it's any surprise that, you know, we've all said it a long time now that, that they would like to sign Bellingham next summer if, if they could. You know, they're not alone there. I'm pretty sure likes of Chelsea, City, Man United, all of those players, well, teams would like to sign him. But, you know, Liverpool have been looking at it for quite a while. But he won't be the only midfielder they're looking at. So there'll be others. And it's whether or not, like with Diaz in, in January, whether the injuries now, and I've got to be careful now because all the websites will be getting ready to quote me on this, but if you look at it from a very logical point of view... I think they already will, Doyle. You okay, just said they're getting Bellingham. No, I don't say they're getting Bellingham. I said they'd like to sign him. It's like, so what? You know what I mean? It's like, wow. You know, I'm sure they'd like to sign lots of players. Um, but yeah, go back to my point. Because Liverpool look ahead at the transfer windows. Next summer, Milner will probably finish. Oxley chamberlain And... You wouldn't be surprised if they can't. Well, if they can't, so something with KT is going as well. So there's a possibility that at least three of them are going. So you, even if you bring in a young England international, for example, or try to bring it from a German club, uh, you're still left with you're going to need some more, even if you want to leave a little bit of a gap for some youngsters coming through, which they always want to do. And that's fair enough. So you're looking for at least one more. They will be looking at certain players. And like with Diaz, do they now think, well, we might have to accelerate this, but then how much is it going to cost? The impact it has on the selling team because they'll need to replace this player. These are things that people don't always take into consideration. So I would imagine, again, I have to be careful now, I would imagine that Liverpool have a list of midfielders they'd very much like to sign or be interested in signing or attempt to sign over the next 
6, 12, 18 months. Now, if the injury situation is such that Jurgen Klopp feels as though he perhaps needs a player coming in because it's very hectic over the next two or three months, what was it? They play another 22 games, is it, before November, which will determine how the season's going to go. Perhaps Liverpool could then look into perhaps signing somebody or looking as to whether they can bring a possible transfer a bit earlier. But that's conjecture right. on my part for yeah. anybody who's listening. Understand, understand that, Doily. I can hear the, the, the keyboards already tapping away <laughs> the points. Um, the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. But Theo, uh, Theo, to you to use the analogy, then Doily's got the list. It was in the drawer. Maybe over the weekend the drawer's been opened and the list's been put on Jurgen Klopp's desk. If you're Jurgen Klopp, are you beginning to make those phone calls? It's my my what two thousandth time this summer of asking you. If you're the if you're the man, are you buying a midfielder? If the right midfielder is available, yes. We know that they tried to get sure many. Or they had the conversations and they were told that he wasn't interested, that he wanted to go to Real Madrid. Uh, there have been reports that they did ask Borussia Dortmund the question, if there was any possibility of a certain England international this summer, and they were told to go away. Um, so it's one well, they are looking. If the opportunity was there to bring someone in earlier, then they would make that move. It's not going to have any bearing on what they do against Fulham. And it would just be if the injury situation got so bad that they desperately needed the numbers. And we're talking about you're without two or three of these options until October time, I'd imagine. I think Oxlade-Chamberlain, the hamstring injury, we're expecting him to be back around then. It just depends how serious Thiago is, how serious Curtis Jones is. But then it's still a gamble when you think Henderson's had injuries in the past. Naby Cater's had injuries in the past. It's like you're relying on them to be fit. You're relying on Harvey Elliott to not suffer any breakdowns after coming back from the ankle injury like realistically you're not wanting to have to put Carvalho in there just yet he looks like he'll be the forward option for the season uh they'll, they'll have names on this list and then they'll be having the conversations they'll maybe putting in a few inquiries but they'll have been doing that before all during the summer and that's the extent that they haven't made a move for anyone they've said we're going to wait until 2023 it'll only be if one of those targets I say so, someone else goes to them now and suddenly the asking price drops or the player goes to the club and goes, I want to move now, or something like that. It will force the hand and be a bit of a merry-go-round. Um, my gut feeling is still, you'd imagine Liverpool will stick with what they've got. They've got enough options there. I think Klopp said he's got eight. Well, technically, he's got nine if we count Carvalho. But the injuries do play into it and who's available. Uh, it's one of these, it changes, doesn't it? Like they, they said before January, they weren't going to sign anyone. And then Diaz was available. Tottenham forced their hands. Watch this space, but don't be disappointed if we are going to have to wait until at least January. Has it has it been an oversight, Rich, that we've got to this situation that this has happened? Because I mean, you look at those midfield options Theo mentions, Carvalho and Elliot, respectively, are young players breaking through. Don't really know if they can carry the weight of of Liver, the pressure of Liverpool's <coughs> midfield on their shoulders week in week out at this stage of their careers. Milner's a veteran coming towards the end of his career. Then you've kind of got the likes of, of Cater. Jones had a checkered injury history last season. Fabinho's not got the cleanest injury history himself. I mean, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, a player who perennially is, is on the treatment table. Should Liverpool have got to this situation or or is it a case of it is just bad luck and it's it's all sort of come at once? Uh, probably a bit of both. I, I do think there are 
a body short. Some of these players that are, you know seem to get injured quite a lot aren't necessarily the or the, with the exception, notable exception of Thiago, are, aren't necessarily your, your your first choices in the midfield. And that you know if you're looking at players knocking on the door to get into this Liverpool midfield, how many of them can you say are you know on the brink of it? Or you know, maybe Naby Keita probably plays a bit more than the others, but again. Has, hasn't truly done it and, and his uh, injury record also isn't great. So I think what, what concerns me really, guys, that we had a season where we had a defensive crisis, which cost Liverpool quite dearly in terms of of, of what they could produce, uh, you know, over that campaign. And uh, once bit and twice, I'm just a bit, just a bit worried that if, if they do continue to have injury problems, that something similar could happen by being short in midfield um, different part of the different part of the uh, the pitch, obviously, but but no less important. Um, and I, for for a, a club that's so um, so statistically driven these days, it, it, there is a, a reluctance. I understand the reluctance of what just going out to get a player because you're a body short. You've got to find the right player. They're playing at an extremely high level. And he's got and whoever comes in need they can't just be a good player they also need to have the right characteristics and, and be able to get up and running fairly quickly in the side it's not like you bring in a player uh and saying you know like fabino was given or case when we're given a, a period of time to bed into a side you anyone you bring in um as as an emergency so to speak has got to hit the ground running more or less haven't they um so it, it can say it just just concerns me i do think that they need at least one more in, and then, and then, as as uh, as Dolly was saying before, you, you're looking to grow, then aren't you? Because of certain players who are going to uh, likely leave at the end of the summer, um, I'd hope he would do some sort of business before this window shuts. Yeah, did you want to jump in there? Yeah, I was just going to say. Um, I suppose they're in a similar situation nine months ago when we start of December when they're having like Tyler Morton starting away at Tottenham. There was the threat of a midfield injury crisis then, and that's when Liverpool looked like they were short on players. And then suddenly everyone was back coming into January and they almost won everything. They had believe on three, four players out of the squad every week. So it's like that's how quickly it can change. You can go from looking like you, all your options are gone, you're in this big injury crisis, to everyone's available and you've got too many players. And that's why Klopp's come out and said... It needs to be the right player. It needs to make sense for us. We don't solve a month-long problem by signing someone for a year. Um, I think Pep Blinders, who would have been our special guest, he's gone on record in the past and said that when Liverpool sign a player, it's for the starting eleven. Like It's someone they believe can get into that starting eleven. So they're, they're going to be thinking long-term. And it's just, that's why they thought they can get through this season, because they've got the players to get them through to another summer before these long-term options come available. It's about spinning all these plates and making it all come together at the right time. It's a gamble because Liverpool don't have like unlimited money like, say, a Newcastle these days or Man City, PSG. And that's why they're not winning the Premier League at a canter year in, year out. But they've got a fighting chance and they, they need a bit of luck, but so do, does any team to get in the position they're in. We've seen it go against them when they had the centre-back injury crisis, but we've seen them go their way as well. And we're talking about this after the first game of the season. It's far too early for things to be won, lost, but they need a bit of luck if they're going to come out on top, but that's the same every year. 
I'm not sure if it is too 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 soon to predict things. Seeing Doyle might have something to say about that. But Doyle, in terms of the game, let's get back to talking about the action. You were obviously there. I know Craven Cottage isn't, I suppose, the most electric atmosphere. I was there the day they secured the, the, the championship crown and got promotion back to the Premier League. And to tell them there was a party there probably would have would have maybe woken a few up inside Craven Cottage. But do you think Liverpool at all underestimated Fulham? I mean, they've taken on promoted sides in what each of the last four opening days of, of of the campaign do you think there was an element of dare I say complacency but the fact that Liverpool weren't at their sharpest perhaps psychologically as much as physically well if you go back to those games they beat Leeds 4-3 so that was close even last season the 3-0 Wolves the 3-0 Norwich game that was pretty level until Jota scored. And oh, look, Jota's injured. And then I've written something today that, you know, talking about Liverpool have conceded the first goal seven times in the last nine games now, going back to the end of last season. And um, I think you look at the, the players last season who scored the opening goal in games where Liverpool scored the first goal, I broke the deadlock. I think Jota did it nine times. And the next one after that was Mane. So they're both not there. For different reasons. After that was Salah, then after that was Minamino. So, you know, three of the top four, you know, what I call game breakers aren't, aren't available at the moment. And Nunes is coming and he's a completely different debate, which I'm sure we'll have in a bit on him and Firmino. And they'll they'll need someone who's gonna get the first goal because it it was slightly different in the sense that they didn't even look like scoring did they before Fulham scored. That was just a general kind of thing that Thank you, Theo. Um, a th- general kind of thing there on um, on Liverpool, just, ge- just just talking generally in terms of getting the first goal. But looking at the game itself, it wouldn't have made any difference, I don't think. But going forward, Crystal Palace, they'll turn up on next Monday. Feels like next year. It's that far away. Um, and they'll make life difficult like they did last season. Going back to your point about the, the promoted teams, Norwich last season did make it difficult for, difficult for a bit. Leeds certainly made it difficult. And Norwich the season before that, I think Liverpool went about 3-0 up after about 25 minutes. I think it was an own goal and there's a bit, bit of another lucky goal. So that was almost like a, an, a kind of nothing. You couldn't really judge much on that one, to be honest. Liverpool, it was made a lot easier for them. Also different that it was at Anfield. I know the Leeds Yes, Anfield, and, and well, then you've got the, you know, the Watford game. Did Watford come up that year? No, they didn't come up, no. did they? It just happened to be the first game of the season, didn't it? It was Marco Under Silva's a... first game in charge yeah, as well. that's right, yeah. So it was kind of a new kind of situation, so it could be comparative to that. So, But this is nothing new. Going back to the 80s, they've played opening games against teams and drawn. They've come up and have been playing Norwich one year, drew three all away. I think they drew one all with Wolves one year. They get games away from home. The only difference is that now you just look at it and people go, oh, you've dropped two points, that's it, the end of the league. I mean, the number of people who were like on the on Saturday, like at about three o'clock, saying the season is over. And it's like, well, technically speaking, it, it, I never thought they were ever going to win it. So I was like, well, what did you expect? But, <laughs> but, but but really, it's not over, is it? Literally, there are literally 37 more games to go. Liverpool have to beat, play Man City twice. Imagine if they beat them twice. You know what I mean? So it's like, no, oh, I appreciated it. the text I got about two o'clock on Saturday afternoon <laughs> from Mr. Ian and Doyle that said, you all need to start listening to me more often on the podcast. So, <laughs> to yeah, be fair, it, you, what was your reply? Your reply was? I said, I, I do. Yeah. yeah. So, no one else does. Yeah, Nobody no, else does. No, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, I, I mean, the game itself. Yeah. I mean, Liverpool, I said before, you've taken two all half time. You wouldn't have taken it at the beginning of the game. At the end, they could have easily won it with Henderson's shot that hit the bar. But that would have been a bit unfair on Fulham, I thought, played quite well. 
I'm going to have to check myself as I say this, Theo. But is there is there a concern with Trent Alexander-Arnold and defending the back post in particular? I mean, the first goal on Saturday, uh, Mitrovic was his first goal, second goal. First goal, second was penalty, wasn't it? The first goal, Mitrovic got above him at the far post. It was after Henderson had gone down and Liverpool looked light on their kind of right flank as they defended. And it was hung into the back post. Mitrovic kind of sniffing the, what seemed to be the weakest link in that back line, jumping above Trent, who didn't really seem to be looking around. And obviously, we know how events transpired on the pitch in Paris and Vinicius Jr. got in in not a similar situation, but not too dissimilar. We've spoken and we've... we've busted the myth of him in being a poor one-on-one defender. He's a brilliant covering defender. But aerially, I suppose he can't be fantastic at every facet of the game. But defending the back post is, is quite a big one for a fullback, no? It's a big one for a fullback, but it's simplistic to say Liverpool have only conceded these two goals because of Trent Alexander-Arnold. It's a bit harsh looking at him for this Fulham one because it's good forward play from Mitrovic. He's, what, six foot three, six foot four striker, big imposing figure. He's gone to the far post. He's got a run on the ball. He snuck up behind him. I think he was holding him down as well so he couldn't jump as well. He's done his job really well. And what more do you expect Trent to do here? Like You could argue, well, the cross shouldn't come in. The ball shouldn't get down that flank in the first place. It's all these phases of play that has led to this goal being conceded. And it was the same in the Champions League final as well. From I think it was Robertson being caught up field. One of the midfielders not being back to make up a back four. So they're outnumbered. There was a little deflection on the cross. And so the set, it goes through a centre-back's legs. All these things add up. And you can say Trent maybe should have been a bit more aware but even then, if you've got Mitrovic running onto a ball, a bigger figure like him was going to be high on confidence after the number of goals he scored. And we know how good he is in the air. You'd still back him to get on the end of it and to at least cause it, get a save from the goalkeeper. Um, I wouldn't say it's like a weakness in Trent's game in the sense that he's at fault for the goal. But he isn't in that team to be this imposing figure winning all the aerial balls. That's what Virgil van Dijk's for. It's what Canate's for. It's what Matip's for. It's what Joe Gomez is for. It's what the centre-backs are for. The full-backs, uh, it's a different role for them. Yeah, he's been left at the far post, but it was more forward play there for doing a good job. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, is it then, Rich, frustrating how as soon as a goal goes in, either down Trent's side or Trent involved at all, immediately outsiders kind of jump on it and say Trent's a poor defender, yet Virgil van Dijk gave away a penalty? Yeah, he's got a bit of credit in the bank, van Dijk, hasn't he? He will always, uh, always seems to uh, have that to fall back on. I think any time anytime there's uh, a goal that comes as a result of something down that side, there's always going to be uh, criticism out for... Trent Alexander-Arnold, I think I get the impression he probably just will live with that now. And and um, the, the trade-off of what you get going forward with Trent and his all-round game and, and, and what he brings to this Liverpool side probably far outweighs um, those those sort of things, I think. I mean, he's a classic goal from Mitrovic, though, and a great, great add to that. I mean, I'd be proud of scoring that one if I was uh, a foot taller. Um, but, yeah, I, I you know... There's, Players aren't perfect, aren't they? They can always improve on certain elements of the game. I'm sure he'll watch that back on a video and see, is there anything I could have done better to stop this uh, giant striker leaning into me and getting a march on me to, to, to boot my head in at the far post? And um, I'm sure other teams will have looked at it and thought, 
have we got a player that can target him like that in in, in subsequent games and and he'll just have to find a way of uh, of trying to deal with it a little bit better really but uh, it's not it's it's not a massive concern for me just purely because of because of what he, he brings you he, he brings something to the game that uh, a lot a lot of other players can't and um if liverpool had controlled the ball a little bit better during that match there would have been less opportunities for uh for fulham to put them under pressure in the way that they did and um that, that's something the whole team's accountable for yeah, most definitely. Right, before we get off then, let's talk about the, the ray of sunshine then that came through the clouds at Craven Cottage and that was Darwin Nunez and his introduction and the impact he brought, Doyle. You mentioned with Gorsty yesterday when we, we debriefed and spoke about the game, uh, about just the impact he had and actually how quickly he does look to have got up to speed within the Liverpool system. Klopp spoke so much through the course of the, the tour of the Far East of how Liverpool needed to get used to his runs and everything. But just having that presence at the top end of the pitch looked as though something the rest of the team, when they weren't performing well, really had there to bail them out. Well, Firmino was just not there, was he? Which is a shame because he's been good during the summer. He just, he kind of, he, suff- he suffered more than probably the rest of them on, on just how bad everybody else was. I think he's a player who, who has to rely on the others, not to play well, but he's not, a, because he's not a centre forward in the traditional sense. If he's up there and no one's passing to him, he has to come back into midfield to get it. And then the minute to get it, he's not there because he's had to come back. So, you know, he, he was kind of a victim of that. I think with, with Nunes, well, what do we call him? Sorry, guy, you call him Nunez. I quite like Nunez. that. Yeah. Nunez, yeah, I quite like Nunez. that. Nunez. Yeah, Nunez, Nunez, him. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny because I don't think he meant his goal and I don't think he meant his assist, which I suppose in a way he's a bit, you know, that's a good sign, actually. You don't think he meant the goal? Come on. Well, hang on, he meant to, hang on, right. He Literally, about two minutes before, he'd done that kind of crazy, like, back flick where he kind yeah. of just tapped it and the keeper saved it. So he tries it again misses the ball and then the defender hits it against him as he's midway through doing it so you know it's good to be lucky and as for the second the second goal he, he was just like controlling it wasn't he when it came yeah. straight to him he did well to react he did well to react that quickly to the defender not clearing it properly also did and well just not happened, to twist and just, his ankle when he landed yeah and it just happened that Salah was there just like knocks it in so you know that was good but you're right he made a big difference I think there was he, 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 he did he have he had one header that was saved didn't he and he had a Knockdown for Diaz. Yeah, and that was going to say, yeah, the knockdown as well. So it's interesting. We mentioned this last week that who knew that Salah could cross the ball like this? You know, he's, he's suddenly got, you know, well, to be fair, you know, he's been one of the best players in the world. What a surprise he can actually do something. But, you know, he's, he's, he's showing that he's bringing a bit more out of, out of Salah's game. So that's good in that sense. But, yeah, I do think that, as Theo said, it allowed this week that they're back on the training ground doing a bit more work on the fitness, but also you know that understanding because next week there's no midweek game either. I think that's right, isn't it? And then there it just loads them after that, isn't it? Until the international break, so that gives them a bit more scope for working on stuff. The only problem, is, of course, is the midfield again. It goes back to the midfield. You know that Elliot was the one who brought Salah into the game. We then brought Nunes into the game. Um, Does that mean and- then until the midfield is fully functional? But it's Nunez, never. It's Nunez always should be the man who should be at the top end of the pitch. Well, you could argue that, but then, when is the midfield ever fully functional for Liverpool? Because it's always been horses for courses. Always, 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 always has been. Always I don't mean. I don't, yeah, I, no, I don't mean in terms of like flair and everything like that. It always, as you says, has been that. But it was so. 
so disjointed and not working fully well, like it should have been. Yeah, that's the same for any striker, though, isn't it? It's, it's, a, what, it's like we'll never know what Firmino would have played like with Elliot and Milner on the pitch, would we? Yeah. So that's, you know, you can't really compare, but they, they went for the full change of, right, Nunes is coming on. And Elliot had to come on, didn't he, for Thiago he anyway? Time, yeah. He had to come on anyway, which is, I suppose, in some way, not it wasn't a lucky break for Thiago in the long term, but for in the, 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 you know, the purpose of that game, Elliot, as I said before, was the one who brought Salah into it. So that that helped. And I think that kind of triangle of Trent, Henderson and Salah just didn't get going down that wing. And that's been one of Liverpool's strengths, certainly last season. And, I mean, Trent didn't have a good game, as we said. Henderson thought he did okay in the first half, but then fell away badly in the second half. Fabinho... We mentioned so yeah in terms of Nunes I'd be surprised if he didn't start against Crystal Palace next week I know we've got about 15 podcasts before that game um, so we can't go too much into it um, to be but, fair 15 podcasts in was it nine years you said earlier 15 podcasts be, in <laughs> you said it was like nine years till the next game oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 15 nine, podcasts in nine yeah. years yeah yeah we'd be yeah. doing well if we did that but uh yeah, yeah no no it is an interesting one Theo what's your take would would you go with Darwin against Palace I would. It's a Anfield fans going to give him a, a warm welcome. He did well um, against Fulham, but then at the same time, he's still not fully there, is he? He's still finding his feet a little bit. We've mentioned on podcast past before that his, his touch isn't the best just yet. Um, he, he was a bit fortuitous with the goal and the assist. There are a couple of other questionable decisions. I think there was one where he was in a, a really good shooting position at the far post, and then he's at this really bad cutback attempting two, two to find Salah. Two-footed Nunes here. Two-footed Nunes. This is why I didn't get on our podcast. Come I'm on. I'm saying he's got a goal and assist. He's done well. <laughs> but there's still more that he can do. There's still stuff that he can work on. But yeah, it's under the lights. It's Anfield. He, he's got an experience of that before in the Champions League. It's a, a better game for him to have that first start in the Premier League. And you know he's going to get a good welcome. He's going to be already not a fan favourite, but the fans are going to be excited by him because he's got two goals in two um, you got the memories of the four goal haul against Leipzig, and as we keep saying, I think in this early stage of the season, we count the Man City goal. That is a real goal, with Community Shield. Um, hopefully, you can get a home debut goal as well. Um, but at the moment, Liverpool are maybe going to have to rely on him if they are going to take a few weeks to get everyone else up to speed because he is this imposing striker that makes things happen. He makes defenses panic. And if he's getting goals, Rich, he's worth persevering with until the rest of his game comes together. No. Yeah, not persevering with. I mean, he's not persevering with because he's going to cost eighty-five million pounds. <laughs> you know, you might as well play him a bit. <laughs> Give um, him a yeah, look, you're only as good as your last game, and for me, unfortunately, it was pretty awful, wasn't he? So um, that probably gives uh, an opportunity for Nunes to possibly make his uh, Anfield bow on uh, on Monday. Uh, I I know you were saying it's good to see him up to speed. I kind of, I know, uh, Ian, they've already sort of alluded to it, really, but I, I don't think he is quite up to speed, really. Um, he did get lucky with his goal. That that flick, I used to attempt that in the schoolyard, uh, and it never came off. And obviously, if you're a professional footballer, you get a bit of fortune and it does come off. Um, but he, he had a little bit of luck with that, possibly a little bit of luck with with his assist. But the, the difference was that he caused problems, um, and and he was a disruptor, and and he, and he gave Fulham plenty to think about, and he'll have no trouble doing that. Um, to Crystal Palace's defence as well, you know he, he's going to be there to, to cause problems and make things happen, which is what people want to see, don't they? Rather than Liverpool uh, just huffing and puffing. 
his touch does look a, a little bit off. I, I think he's he's still he's not quite. I understand why Jurgen Klopp wouldn't start him in the first game of the season or, or, or right from the off. He does need to get used to uh, used to the Premier League and, and um, Liverpool's way of playing. But um, yeah, I'd quite like to see him play on Monday. Be very quite excited about it. Yeah, certainly at Anfield with the home support behind him would be interesting to see what he can offer. Well, there is plenty to come, of course, until Liverpool do take on Crystal Palace. 15 podcasts, in fact, according to Ian Doyle. But I, I would like to update that number to 20. Right, 20, right. It's not going to be 20. I can let the listeners know for sure. How many is going to use each on Doyle? Uh, I'm trying to go down for none. None. Right, <laughs> let's wait and see. Theo's in his contract, he will be in at least 87% of them. Right, let's get going before things get uh, nasty between you two. That's it from us here whoa, on this whoa, edition whoa, of the Oh, stop, stop, stop. That's nasty. Stop, stop, stop. No, but Theo's capable of... It's, it's, it's just a little bit of jocularity between two yeah. associates. Come yeah, on. but Theo's capable of a two-footer, so I don't want to see you get injured, Doyle. You've got a long season <laughs> ahead of you. And, uh, yeah, the Echo definitely can't be carrying injured players and uh, injured reporters. So that is what it is. But from us for Monday's edition of the Blood Red Podcast... That's all we've got time for from myself, Guy Clark, Ian Doyle, Theo Squires and Rich Garnett. Thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.